it's only really to me that first two to three weeks. Like the first round is clear is really is like exciting, right? But then you, it's just the blurring effect because by the end of May, you're like, hold on, I it's hot out. I'm on a patio drinking a beer, and there are people skating around on ice still. <laughs> yeah, it is stretching. There's, now that it goes into June all the time, it's kind of feels a little lengthy but i don't know i feel like they could i i was saying the one year they had the abbreviated year with the lockout knocked it down to like 54 games or whatever you know i don't know exactly but somewhere in that range and i was like this is the perfect length the whole season seemed like it mattered playoffs seemed like you could still stay pay attention and it was over in the right amount of time like i think they went like january to may or something got the whole thing done and i was like this should be how it is every year yeah well it's it's Hockey season is like, uh, you know, at some point, it's like people are going to transition from watching feature-length movies to watching television shows because they're going to say, you know what, this is two hours long. I don't really want to put in two hours tonight. I want to, like, you know, I don't want to commit myself to two hours. I'm going to watch that one-hour episode, you know. Eventually, mm-hmm. people are going to do that with, with hockey and baseball. That's, that's my prediction. Bold prediction, Mitch. They're going to want abbreviated years. All of them, man. Even the even the NFL. Roger Goodell was talking about. He thinks the the games themselves will have to get closer to an hour than they are currently three plus hours, because he just thinks that's the way consumption's going. Like that, they'll have to come up with a product that can be viewed in that short of a, a span. Whether that's the full TV broadcast or one of those like you know like Blue Jays and thirty kind of scenarios or whatever it is. So I don't know. I could see something where they because you just you know who hasn't that much time right and the success of like the red zone and that kind of stuff for the NFL. I think they're just like, yeah, people want the quick hits and then get out. Right. You can't sit down for three and a half hours anymore. We just went from mutually hating on the NHL playoffs to like a really meta conversation about the trends in major sports. We just elevated this conversation. (laughs) It's what we do, buddy. It's what we do. Well, let's start doing it about the sport that we care about the mixed martial arts. Woo. (laughs) <laughs> you know i was trying i was trying my hardest not to laugh at you in the intro this time because I, I listened to last week so i was like man there's me laughing at reese at the start and then you went that high pitched and that loud again and i had to laugh again there's just nothing i could do i tried you are listening to the hurt take <laughs> <laughs> the wow, show dude. by a couple of fans for the fans the people's podcast the number one show on the airwaves you know what I've decided, Mitch? I've decided that we're going to come up with an intro that is like if anyone watches Game of Thrones, whenever they introduce the king, he always has a series of titles. We're going to have like a series of titles for our show. Self-appointed, all our own stuff, but it'll be like that. It's fake it till you make it, right? Why not? Say what you want until someone says you can't say it anymore. That's right. The number one show on the airwaves. Right. Someone's got to disprove that, right? <laughs> Now, number one show on the airwaves this weekend, at least for MMA fans, (laughs) was UFC Fight Night Kansas City. Boy, oh boy, Mitch. I mean, Demetrius Johnson is good. That man is good. I don't even know what to say other than it was a total and complete performance an absolute clinic in every aspect of the game i mean 
that might have been one of the most complete championship performances I can recall. Pretty amazing. Wilson Hayes didn't really stand a chance. I, 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 I don't really know what else to say. Pound for pound right now, it's Conor McGregor and Demetrius Johnson for me. And Conor only has that because he's won a belt in another division. He had never, if he hadn't won that Alvarez fight, I mean, it's, it's Demetrius Johnson by a mile to me. I don't know how you feel. A lot to unpack there, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, I thought you were. I thought you were throwing me a bit of a curveball at the beginning. You're going to hit me with that Bellator line or something again. We'd be talking <laughs> about Bellator 177 all of a sudden. But you've stuck to UFC this week, so it's nice. That that was good. But you're welcome. No, it, <laughs> couldn't agree more. Obviously, you're talking uh, Demetrius Johnson. He is what he is, man. That was amazing. It was. Uh, I think he said it best. You just saw a white belt beat a black belt at what he does best. It was pretty insanely impressive. I mean. Um, he wasn't supposed to be able to take this guy to the ground and submit him. He did it, made it look easy. Uh, and at points kind of looked like he was almost like, I don't want to say he was playing with him, but it did look like he was, you know, he was looking for exciting. He wanted a kind of a flashy finish. Like it looked like he had ways to, uh, dominate that fight. And it was almost like he was choosing which way he was going to go with it. It was, uh, quite crazy. So, um, and now obviously the praise is being heaped on him. He's tied the record now and, and, uh, here we go. What was so fascinating about that performance is, I, I mean, to me, the thing about Demetrius Johnson fights is that he really puts on display the complexity and the depth of mixed martial arts. You know, some it's unfortunate because sometimes the the sport is marketed as a much simpler thing than it is. The wrestler versus the the boxer, and this versus the that. But we've we've the game is elevated to a completely different level now, where guys have almost strengths and weaknesses within each of those um, disciplines. And Demetrius Johnson was one of those guys where he went out and he submitted uh, a BJJ black belt and all that stuff, and that's what everyone's talking about. But it's like, yeah, he did that, but he didn't go out and play the Brazilian jiu-jitsu game and beat that guy. He almost played the, the mind trick of he went out and for three rounds chewed this guy up on the feet it outclassed him in every way. And so then once it hit the mat, Hayes was sh- shell-shocked at that point. He was beat up. He was real stunned. DJ was passing his guard, was, you know, hitting him on the ground. And it's not like he just kind of, you know, mo- uh, advanced position and then got a hold of the arm bar. Like, it wasn't like a Ronda Rousey type seeking the submission thing. He basically pummeled him until Hayes gave him the arm, and then he just took it. So he really puts on display just how de- uh, how deep a mixed martial artist's abilities can be that he can set up a submission without even really playing the submission game for the entirety of the fight. Like, that's just the thing about Demetrius Johnson that's so amazing to me is he doesn't just go out there and do one thing. He blends it all together, and then it's like something you've never seen before. See, and I think that's why if I was going to call someone the pound for pound, you know, best out there right now, I think that's why I would give the nod to him is because of the versatility. He can do it in all facets. Um, you were talking about Connor being right there with him. He's done it in two divisions. Sure, but he's done it in the same fashion in both divisions. He struggled with the same components in both divisions. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's still got the same holes in his game. He's still got the same flaws. Whereas when you look at a guy and think, hey, he can literally do anything. 
Um, and obviously now he's tied to Anderson Silva. And when you look at the guy that was, you know, kind of compared to that realm before, that's where Anderson Silva was, right? Could do it on the ground, could do it standing, was obviously a striker first, but it had all these other weapons. It really felt like there wasn't a hole in the game. He wasn't this Chuck Liddell where he was kind of a one-trick pony, but hey, that keeps working to a point. He, You know, he's this guy that can literally do anything and really does almost just, you know, a lot of guys say that. I can take this fight anywhere it goes. I can go to the ground. I can do this. Demetrius Johnson's one of these guys where he I literally looks super calm and relaxed no matter what happens. He can't really be pressured. You can't really force him to a bad spot because there is no bad spots. He's so comfortable everywhere. He's not really, a, you know, a striker first and then working on the ground. It, it seems like he's truly proficient everywhere, and that's one of those things that seems like it's making him pretty unbeatable right now. So um, I guess the question is now, you know, is he is he the best ever? That was kind of getting tossed around Saturday night, and we, you know, kind of debating ever since. But what do you think? Best ever? Oh, pound for pound? You son of a bitch. You took the thought right out of my head. I was just about to ask that question. Uh <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those people who, when you ask when you ask that kind of a question, I'm always going to say, "Well, he's a different fighter than an Anderson Silva." You know, Anderson is—it's hard to ever for me to pick the best ever. But I would say, yeah. I mean, in this case, I I I, I think what he did on Saturday, ultimately, when it comes down to wins and losses, and and had he not won that fight, I probably would have said, "No, he's not," but he did, and so all things considered. They're they're on par, uh, you know, and and once they're on par for me, it's Demetrius Johnson taking the edge as the best there ever is for that for exactly the reason we talked about. You know, Anderson Silva had a way of making it look like he was fighting in the Matrix, but Demetrius Johnson makes it look like he's fighting children. You know, like it's it's a different kind of ease and dominance. Um, and I, for my money, he's the best ever. What about you? Hmm. It's so tricky for me because I've got, you know, 10 straight title defenses, period, puts you way up there in my categories, right? You've got all this. We talked about it a lot last week. He doesn't get the respect and yada, yada, yada. And now we're hearing after this fight, these are, you know, some of the lowest TV ratings they've had on Fox and all sorts of these things where the negativity seems to always come with a Demetrius Johnson fight as well. But at the end of the day, I look and go 10 straight title defenses. I don't care what the division was. I don't care who the opponents are. That's insane, right? We've only seen it, you know, this is the second time ever someone's been able to put that together, period. There's always these arguments about, is the division weak, is the division not weak, da-da-da-da-da. We heard that with Ronda Rousey, same kind of stuff here with him. And I just think, who cares, period. I'm not quite willing to say greatest ever, and here's why. You know, to me, he's tied Anderson Silva, but you got to look at some of the other stuff that's happening. The only time he's fought outside of his division, he lost. He doesn't have... Uh, you know, doesn't have that reach, right? So Anderson Silva's got the 11 title defenses in a row, but in in between that, he's also fighting out of the division multiple times. Yeah. Um, and so I look at stuff like that and think it's probably just, if you're looking at it just as who's the greatest ever, and you can really only use some of these kind of metrics. We never can see these guys fight. We don't know about styles, that kind of stuff. So purely numbers game type scenario, I would say Anderson Silva's probably still just a touch ahead, probably based on his resume a little bit as well kind of the quality of fights along that 11 defense streak. But, um, you know, once, once Johnson breaks this record, <laughs> I don't know how, you know, and then possibly is doing yeah. something else after that. Sure. Um, but I think for now it's just a slight hair for Silva still. Yeah. Well, it, 
if you're trying to argue one way or the other, like there's arg- anyone you can make the argument one way or the other. I mean, talking about strength of competition. Well, <laughs> you know, Anderson didn't exactly fight um, nothing but powerhouses for for a bit there. I mean, he fought Talis Ladies. Chael Sonnen has largely proven himself to be a bit of a one trick pony, but gave him his toughest test. Uh, he fought a Damian Maya that was extremely, extremely kind of green in the MMA game. So the same way Demetrius has fought uh, maybe a, a lesser caliber of fighter, you know, fight for fight. I mean, Anderson didn't exactly. I mean, he fought Stefan Bonner at light heavyweight, you know. So there's – and Demetrius Johnson started his career at bantamweight. So he has fought outside of his weight class. It was just very early in his career, and he lost the only title fight he ever had. Um so I think, yeah, you can go either way. A lot of it just depends on what you what you put more value in, right? Records or skills or whatever, whatever. And either way, it's a conversation uh, that's a lot of fun to have, just, just being able to see him perform and then wonder aloud, you know, is does that translate? So a uh, quick one, though. Do you think he will jump up? Do you think he will get a super fight? I can't see it now. Um, I hear everybody talking about it and I think, okay, maybe once he breaks the record, but they're not going to have him. you know, they're going to, I wouldn't think, I would think he breaks the record first, but that could just be me. I, I just don't see him going up until that's kind of taken care of. It just seems like, you know, work on one piece of legacy first and then, uh, start adding things to, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's just, that's just my personal take. I just seems like weird timing. It seems like they would get him a big fight. He talks, you know, he's coming fairly vocal about wanting a big fight in Vegas. So I could see him you know, even co-maining a huge card or something to break that record, something like that. Um, but you never know. They've also kind of made him the Fox guy and kind of put him out there. So um, I think it would just, it seems like nowadays it's all about timing and, and them needing that main event on the right card or something. And they'll do just about anything. So never do know, but I got to think he breaks the record first and then, and then entertain some of these super fights we're hearing about. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think even just from a promotional standpoint, him, <clears throat> him breaking the record, excuse me, uh, him breaking the record gives you one more uh, piece of promotional um, fodder that you can use to promote a, a super fight, right? Like the all-time winningest, whatever, whatever, and so on. So uh, I don't <clears> – <throat> Oh, ahead. sorry. I was just going to say you got to think he's going to want um, – you know, the dream scenario for him is that super fight against Dominic Cruz probably, right? A rematch, yeah. He gets to settle the score. Yeah, and wins a belt, and you know, so I and maybe I'm thinking way outside the box there, but I'm just thinking, you know, by the time that Dillashaw fight happens, and then maybe one more, he'll have broken his record and be kind of looking in that direction, and uh, maybe that timing makes a little bit more sense too. So we'll see. Yeah, it'd be it'll be fun to watch either way. Um, now, someone who hit a well, I guess we could go either way. We could say someone who's on the rise, or we can say someone who's now on the decline. I'm going to skip over the ladies. We're going to go with the ladies last to review from the fight night because we had a, you and I were going back and forth uh, on the text messaging when the Rose Nama Yunus, Michelle Watterson fight was going on. So let's save that one for last. And let's talk about either the elation that is Robert Whitaker's stunning rise to middleweight uh, contendership or the sad sight of Jacare Souza fresh off of signing an eight fight deal with the UFC going down in pretty tragic, I guess, heartbreaking fashion, largely um, considering his circumstance. For you, what do you take from that fight? Is it the Whitaker story or is the Jacare story? 
Um, you know what? Who knows? Really, I, I, a little of both, I guess. I mean, uh, Whitaker's obviously making quite the name for himself. I think I, I kind of suspected, like many, that he would lose this fight. Uh, obviously, he wins and wins in fairly convincing fashion. So he's obviously, you know, it's hard to hard to think about anything in that fight and not think about wow, he's he makes a great matchup for Michael Bisping, doesn't he? Um, and then at the same time, yeah, sad to see Jacare lose. Felt like it, you know it was almost just a matter of time. Like they just kept trotting him out. He wasn't getting his title shot. Keeps taking these tough fights against, you know, Whitaker's not the top of the top, but he has fought everybody. It seems like, um, and now he's kind of recycling back through the division and now slips up and loses. And you're going to wonder where that does with his stock now, where he's been kind of one or one a or one B for how long now at getting a title chance. So, um, yeah, can't hurt. Can't, uh, hope but feel for the guy for sure. Yeah. How did, how did you feel about the stoppage? There was a bit of controversy. Some people thought Mario Yamasaki might have called it too quick. You know, I felt a lot like we did last week where we're, you know, we're all of a sudden we're talking about instant replay in this sport again. And, you know, if you look at it, you have a look at the replay, it looks like it was stopped too soon. Watch the damn things. Watch the damn things in real time ever. Um, and then start judging some of these things. Like you hear a lot about this drama. It seems like after every card, there's something and it has to do with once we saw a photo or once we saw a slow motion of this or that. And um, I just thought this was another case. Like in the heat of the moment when that happened, I totally thought it was a good stoppage. I, watching the fight at, you know, at the full pace, it seemed like he went down. It seemed like he wasn't defending himself. And then it was over. And then like you often see once that ref comes in, it's almost like that's the little wake-up call they need. And they're grasping. They're looking for a leg again like they're fully awake. So. Um, I'm, I'm seeing things too. And I, I, at the time I didn't think anything of it. That's that's really all I can say. It seemed like a good stoppage and it seemed like he definitely was out. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from, you know, Yamasaki was saying today, you know, he saw his eyes roll back. You got to be able to see the eyes to really make these kind of judgments and the fans can't see those things. And I tend to agree with him. So, yeah. um, I don't know about you. What do you think? Was it early or were you? <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is, um, it, it reminded me a lot of the, uh, that I, either the fr- end of the, fr- second round i think of rockhold weidman that middleweight title fight where where rockhold got weidman down and just brutalized him on the ground to the point Mm. where people were saying fuck like they should stop this fight and then the bell rings he gets up weidman sits up and blood just pours down his face and i remember seeing that and going like fuck they should have stopped that fight there Mm. i had the exact same feeling when i was watching this because jacare is getting pummeled I remember thinking, man, they should, they should, you know, I don't know. It was kind of a close one. But then as soon as they stop the fight and Jacare kind of rolls over onto his side, blood just pours off his face onto the mat. And I thought, yeah, that probably was a good stoppage where the direction that it seemed to be heading. I know there's no connection between the amount of blood that gushes from your face and whether or not you can defend yourself. But the visual of that made me think, yeah, you know what? He, he was getting... He was getting beat on, and uh, at that point, I just didn't see him recovering. So I thought it was a fair stoppage, and obviously, I, I, I'm, I generally side on the, the ref's side of things. I don't watch this sport to see people be injured, you know? So when a guy is kind of in that moment and in that danger, my natural inclination is to be like, you know, don't don't let him take any more punishment. I don't want to read a story about Jacare Souza not being able to formulate sentences when he's 50 something years old. That's, that's not what I'm into the sport for. So I so, felt it was a good stoppage. Pardon me? The, the, well, the problem is that you're talking about safety, right? They're supposed to yeah. be there for, for the fighter's safety. And at some point we have to take that decision out of the fighter's hand because they'll keep going. Right. Yeah, that's the yeah. whole point. 
that's why these guys are in there. But it, it's such a slippery slope because, yeah, you're totally right. Did Weidman take way more punishment in that fight? I remember that fight vividly. Like, absolutely he did. There's people screaming, how's this thing not stopped, right? And you, you see that so much that that, you know, that can either become the way it's going to go. Every fight's going to go way too long because you want to give them a perfect amount of time just in case you don't want everyone to stop it early. But that's not siding on the side of fighter safety. That's not, you know, and Yamasaki himself said, you know, his last fight, one of the main cards that Derek Lewis, Travis Brown fight. I don't remember if you remember that one. Yeah. But same thing. He's getting trouble. Same referee getting trouble for letting that go too long. Right. A couple punches too long. He's letting the athlete take damage he doesn't need to take. People are piling on him. So these guys are in a very tough position. Uh, and like we talked about last week, they've got to be on the right side. There's bodies everywhere. Like they've just got to be in the right positions. These are split the second, you know, split second decisions. And I'm with you. I, I, you know, as much as you don't like to see a fight stopped early when you're when you're watching a, you know, a fight, and especially if you're there live or something, you do want them to side on the side of caution. I think at all times, like that's just the way it's got to be. And you know, if the odd one gets stopped early, then so be it, right? All right. If you're listening, you probably love the content that we're putting out, right? Just a guess. Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you get pissed off at a few things we say, but you're listening. So here's the deal. We need your help. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the show, not the public podcasts. Review us, rate us. Every little bit helps. Check our website out, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Clicks are huge for us too. Make sure you visit, make sure you listen, and make sure you give us a little bit of love. Now, I'll take you back to the show. Yep. And then, you know, uh, coming out of that, uh, you mentioned it a little bit. I think that Robert Whitaker ha- is in a great position now. I think he would make a fantastic opponent for Michael Bisbing. That would be a really fun fight to watch. Two guys who are largely stand-up fighters. Uh, Whitaker has really, really impressed me. Um, you know, again, we're talking about, like, with Demetrius Johnson, that de- that complexity of skill, that depth of skill in the sport – I mean, Robert Whitaker is, you know, he's not even this big name in the sport. Most people don't know who he is. But I, you could put him in the cage with uh, the Chuck Liddells and the big name contender guys, the Rich Franklins from back in the day when we were just young bucks getting into the sport. And he would chew them up. That guy has such a depth of skill on the feet with his hands. His use of feints, his timing is just really quite immaculate so i'm looking forward to seeing him uh hopefully get a title shot but this division is so backed up at this point it's it's pretty ridiculous so um moving on to the next subject in terms of title contenders we'll we'll get into the real meat of this uh, this this one in a second but we'll talk about rose namajunas versus michelle waterson um what what more can you say mitch waterson was the one that was largely being talked about before the fight as the likely title, um, the one likely to get a title shot with a win. And she went out there and Rose Nami Yunus went and took it from her. I, and I, and now the conversation is Rose Nami Yunus. She's in title contention. What did you think of that fight, her performance uh, in particular? Uh, were you impressed? Do you think she deserves a title shot? Yeah, well, that was a, that was a few different questions. I was definitely impressed. I've always, you know, Rose is one of those. If you get the if you get the good version of her, she's a great fighter, right? I mean, it's, she's entertaining to watch. She's gritty. 
Um, if you can, you know, now she doesn't, she doesn't have Pat Barry right there in her corner all the time. So you don't have to stare at his crazy face for the whole fight, which makes it a little nicer when you're watching yeah. her fights. But and listen to his terrible, terrible advice. Exactly. Yeah. She's, she's, she's left him just a, you know, boyfriend role now and we don't have to see him in the corner, which is good. And it seems to be translating with her fights, to be honest, she's been largely inconsistent, a little up and down and, you know, but at the same time has always been really good. She's another one that's well-rounded. Um, she kept using the word flow after the fight. And that's why kind of what I thought watching it, you know, she just seemed like she was flowing. She was moving. It was kind of, it was fairly smooth all the way through. So Seemed like a good fight to me, and yeah, like you say, kind of upheavaled their plans with the karate hottie, and uh, you know, I kind of find that funny too. So it's great. <laughs> oh, shocking! Another fighter stealing something from Conor McGregor. Oh, I'm going to talk about being flowy and flowy. Yeah, it was the first guy to say that was Conor McGregor. Jeez, everyone's stealing from Conor McGregor. I I, I, I think uh, <laughs> that might have been stolen from the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world. But all think, right, well, oh, yeah. Con- yeah, that's how it is, though. Conor McGregor is just the guy where he just he started everything now, right? Everything yeah. he everything that he says is is his thing now. So, uh, now the thing we were getting into, so we were texting back and forth. My position is that, gosh, I can't believe that Rose Namajunas with this win is now a title contender. Because, and it also kind of began with, I can't believe that Michelle Watterson is a title contender. Michelle Watterson has only two fights in the UFC. One of them against Paige Van Zandt, who's greener than the friggin' grass in Greenland, for God's sakes. So, I, it, it just kind of, I have never been a really, I, I love uh, women's MMA. I think it's very entertaining. And I like that there is a certain level of skill. Everyone's pretty closely matched. But at the same time, the sport is so young in the women's divisions that it feels kind of hard for me to get behind a Rose Namajunas as a title contender when she's lost the number of fights she's lost in the short amount of time that she's been fighting. She's only had now, uh, I guess, nine career fights, and she's lost three of them. And for me, it's tough to sit there and go like, yeah, now Rose is she's going to be in the hunt. You know, for me, it's, it's the depth of that division is very much like what happened uh, with women's bantamweight. Ronda Rousey was on top. Um, luckily, Rousey was dethroned and it threw the entire division into chaos, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise because all of a sudden you have these all these other people who rise to the occasion. But we've seen now that that might have been a fallacy as well because, you know, uh, um, Holly Holm, she goes out, she gets snuffed in her most recent fights. Um, And then now I'm drawing a blank on what's her face. Ronda Rousey's great rival who retired, broke up with Brian Caraway. Poor guy. Misha Tate. Misha Tate. She went out there and she has not, she retired. She wasn't the same fighter after that. So I feel like the depth in women's MMA is not great. And And it makes it tough for me to then try and get excited about Rose Namajunas as a title contender when her, when her career is not really littered with these with really impressive streak of wins or really impressive streak of performances, other than when she wasn't even in the UFC. That's when she kind of did her real highlight stuff. What's your take on that? I know you disagree because we were going back and forth, but... Well, so yeah, I mean, you just, you obviously just talked for what felt like an hour. So there's a lot there for me to unpack, but I know how I I do Mitch. There's a lot going on between these ears. There there is, there is, but 
here's here's where I'm at with the situation. I think your take is old school. That's that's basically all I have to say. We're there is no longer an MMA landscape where a fighter is going to be 15 and 0, 15 and 1, have built up his career for five years, built a following from one weirdos like Reese who were paying attention to them <laughs> three years before anyone ever knew who they were, and now they're this well-developed talent with a resume to match. The world doesn't exist. What you have now, you live in a TV world, my man. You live in a TV world. Michelle Waterson was on a massive hype after beating one person who was on a massive hype after losing a fight because she won a dance competition. That's the reality of the world we're in nowadays. People aren't paying attention for three years at a clip to see a guy build. This isn't old school boxing. There's a reason boxing is considered old school because it still lives in that archaic mindset. Now what you're talking about now is a woman who's won four or five fights. She's six and three in the UFC. She's 24 years old and they have a story to sell. So they're going to sell the heck out of it, which makes her a title contender. Not only that, she has beef with the champion. The champion's running around town making fun of this girl, talking about her, impersonating her, bringing her up in interviews, and has been for a month now. Yeah. And then she beats the girl that the champ says she's going to fight next. That's what makes her a title contender. She's been in the news for a month and a half before her fight. That makes you a title contender. Now, it doesn't matter what your record is. doesn't matter who you beat. And that's just the reality we're in. Where it's, it's the same reality that has us seeing GSP fight in a division he's never fought in for the belt in his first fight back after three years. It's just the reality. We're in a ratings world. We have the most successful pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world drawing the lowest rankings in the history of Fox, UFC on Fox. <laughs> this is just the reality. So if you have a fight you can sell because the girl's pretty, because the guy's pretty, because whatever scenario, they're going to sell it. And that's where we're at. I, you know, outside of the fact that I actually think you're a little bit wrong. I think the girl has talent. She's being pushed now. Uh, you know, and then the division is pretty deep. When you look at those rankings, you look at all those fighters, they're all, you know, they're names you can name. They're not, you know, you could argue that that strawweight division is stronger than the flyweight. You know, we were just talking about Demetrius Johnson and stuff. There, It's a comparable division. And not only that, the champs beat everyone. She's beat everyone and she's beat some of them twice. So you're in the same world as you're in with DJ. <laughs> she needs a fight. So anyone that can make half a story is a contender now. And it has more to do with the fact that the champ's that dominant. Um, so it's kind of interesting because in Rousey's division, you bring up that, you know, she lost and now it's just been, the belt's just been turning over. So if that happens, anyone who's involved is suddenly discredited. They must not have that much talent. They can't even hold the belt. But then if someone holds the belt, mops up the whole division, now they're nobody. They're just beating no names. Who are these people they're fighting? It's really like you, there's no you can't actually win this argument if you're these fighters. Like we've got a couple of divisions here with where you know the champs have mopped the entire division. We have a bunch of divisions where the belts rotating around like crazy, and either way, it seems like kind of a lack of respect for the people ends up being the case. So um, I don't know. I, I I definitely disagree in this case with you, but I I understand where you're coming from in the sense of I think we both used to wish this was going to turn into this you know this legacy sport where these people are being built up and. It was going to be this Olympic level type of thing. And I, I think it's, you know, as we've been talking about for weeks now, we're we're in sports entertainment uh, and not necessarily sport. <laughs> so that's just the reality of it. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with you on a lot of those points. Uh, I, I would just say that that for me, the, it's not that there's a lack of talent there. It's the sport is younger. So a lot of these a lot of these, you know, women. Uh, have not had nearly the same level of training as the males, even from if they were amateur athletes. 
Um, you know, like Ronda Rousey's the, the the exception in a lot of cases that she has an extensive background, um, Olympic level combat, that kind of thing. And and I agree. I think that Joanny and Jacek at the top of this division, the the the, the problem and the and the uh, the pro and the con of that is the same thing with Ronda Rousey is they were a stabilizing force. They were essentially keeping the, the chaos from exploding. If there was no Jan, uh, Joanny and Jacek, if there was no Ronda Rousey, you would have the belt changing hands every one or two fights. And that is not a recipe for an entertaining division. It's a recipe for something that people don't really want to watch um, because you just kind of assume that, you know, there's there's nothing to really pay attention for. And in the case with the women's MMA, it would be women beating each other for the belt on the on a, like the strength of two two win streak. Ah, oh, won two fights, I got a title shot and I beat the champ. Now I'm on a three fight win streak and then I lost the title. And then someone else who comes up with two fights. So there's a very shallow amount of experience that all these women with shallow records and 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 shallow experience are fighting each other and luckily Joanny and Jacek can sit on the top of the heap. Well, they all kind of beat up on each other underneath. That's just my problem with it. I understand the day and date and the, uh, that we got to sell what works right now. And Paige Van Zandt, she's on Dancing with the Stars and la, la, la. That's fine. It's just that I don't really care to watch Paige Van Zandt fight. I don't want to sit there in awe of Paige Van Zandt's uh, uh, fighting ability when she's got a 500 record. Boo, boo earns. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that. Anyways, we both said our piece. We'll just keep going on about it if, if we just let it lie, because we disagree. Finally, <sighs> something that we vehemently disagree about on this show. I guess, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> man. I, <laughs> I don't know. I still think you're wrong, but, well, yeah, I guess we'll leave it leave it be. Well, you're, I guess you're just not a misogynist like me, right? Like, that must be it. I'm just a, I'm just a bad person. You're just, just living in the past, bro. That's all. <laughs> living in the past. Uh, but something that is not in the past that is very, very current and on edge and trendy. It's my boy, Tom Duquenois. I didn't even realize I, that he was on this card until the day after we recorded our last episode. And then I looked at that and I went, oh, shit, Tom Duquenois. I've been high on this guy for a while. Uh, I've known about him for probably the last year and a half, two years or so. Super excited to see him come into the UFC. He's the last, he was two, two division champion in Bama over in Europe. The last guy to be a two division champion in Bama, Conor McGregor, Tom Dukenois. What a debut performance comes in there and just pummels Patrick Williams. Got hit a little bit along the way, but never really looked too uh, threatened, I guess you could say. But this guy kind of has, he kind of has the, uh, the MO or the style to be a star in this sport. He's all aggressive, all offense, and he goes out there and tries to finish fights. Were you impressed, Mitch? Yeah, yeah, I was impressed. I maybe maybe not quite as much as you. He was fighting a you know nearly hundred year old man that hadn't fought in a couple of years, so <laughs> I have to you know have to see him fight against a little bit more of the upper echelon before I'm a hundred percent convinced. But definitely uh, impressive, <laughs> vicious guy. Lots of lots of elbows, which is always an exciting thing. Um, and yeah, crazy splits too to finish his fight. What more do you need, really? Yeah. Um, but Screw yeah, definitely. Northcut. Oh, I'm gonna do something cool after my fight to celebrate. Tom Dukenwood does the splits, and he kicks ass. 
Yeah, those like Van Damme style splits too, right? Like yeah, you're wondering how something's not torn or ripped. Yeah, craziness. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I think that's really all he needs now, right? We kind of joked about it the other night, but he just needs a little bit of that Sage uh, marketing push now, and he'll be he'll be the next big star. Seems like a good looking fella. He's well spoken on the mic, and definitely exciting to watch fights. So. Um, and you know, whether it's good for his career or not, he seems to like to mix it up. Doesn't mind getting hit. So, you know, the fights are going to be entertaining. Obviously I joked that the guy was, you know, a little bit older. He was 36 years old. It wasn't, uh, the cream of the cream. So it'd be nice to see when he gets in there against some of these killers and in, in that division and kind of see how he can stand up. But yeah, definitely excited seeing him come in and it was a good debut. A lot of times guys struggle in that first one in the UFC. So it was definitely a heck of a way to knock the rest off for sure. And his timing is great in the octagon, but maybe not so good out of the octagon. He just missed the opportunity to fill that gap as the French-speaking MMA guy. You know, Georges St. Pierre comes back, takes that role right back for himself, just as Tom Dukenois was making his debut. Well, I mean, you've got uh, Francis in the heavyweights as well, so it's actually... You've kind of got a couple guys from France now. Mm -hmm. You've got the... Where the sport isn't even legal. Yes, which is very interesting, but uh, yeah, there's definitely some uh, yeah some some French guys back in the top, I guess. So we'll see how it all shakes out as the rest of this year goes. See if they're all still there at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, we will keep you posted as to Tom Dukin was presence when he's when he's fighting in the UFC. I will make sure we do not miss him next time. I was going to say as long as you don't forget about your boy again. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, there's so many fighters to pay attention to. Sometimes they. They slip through the cracks. This is when, when Reese is a big fan of the guy and then forgets <laughs> to even put him on his own show. You know, I start to question his fan, his fanhood, shall I say. But, well, you know, we'll see. All right, Mitch. All right. Settle <laughs> down. Settle down. Now, two guys who are not settling down. Didn't take them long to go start going at it. John Jones and Daniel Cormier started getting at it on Twitter. Oh, man, I love when these guys get mixed up. It's great. They are just so mean to each other just so mean so i guess it started that john jones decided to comment on a twitter post that daniel cormier made a, a while ago in essence saying he had no knockout power and john jones trolled him a little bit threw out some shade and daniel cormier came back and basically said you couldn't even knock me out when you were on steroids you've always been on steroids and just sort of dropped the mic now, these guys do not like each other. It is very, very obvious, Mitch. What did you make of this Twitter beef? Was it entertaining <laughs> or was it just, oh, my God, do, is it going to be more of this and then a canceled fight? Uh, if, you know, even if it does get canceled, that's the what I've started to appreciate about this feud is the buildup. <laughs> I'm starting to care less if the fight actually happens because it can be so entertaining. I'm generally quite nervous to see if, uh, you know, Cormier makes it to a fight, and if he does, is Jones actually going to make it? So it's, you know, will we ever see them fight again? Who knows? But it's great to watch them feud on Twitter. Um, I think you see this anytime two guys legitimately hate each other in this sport, really. We see it all the time. There's the, the fabricated hate that comes along with building a fight. There's that kind of longevity hate where they've done a publicity tour for a month, so after enough time in, locked in the same room, they start to kind of hate on each other leading up to a fight. Uh, and then you get that kind of just genuine seems like they really would fight if they ever crossed each other in the street. And these guys definitely have the latter, you know, it's, it's, 
hatred at the, you know, we've obviously seen it. We've seen the press conference dust ups. We've seen all yeah. that stuff. So they um, would, they actually tried to fight each other in the street. Yeah. Well, and we've seen, I mean, they're, they're, you know, their entourages get in scraps and they get in, you know, they have all these incidents where their mics aren't off and they start cussing each other out and <laughs> just more of the same. I enjoy it. And the, the part that I'm really starting to enjoy now is, you know, that we talked about this last week with Cormier embracing this bad guy role allows him just so much more diversity when he's when he's having these feuds so you know he's no longer this carl winslow as i always call him where he doesn't really what can he say he's this chubby looking dad guy now he's this you know three-time world champion he's getting to be to a point where you can't really say anything to him he's beating everybody he's chirping and winning the fans are booing him he's flipping them off it doesn't i mean he's kind of he's getting bigger than the jones rivalry now and it used to be that Jones was kind of anything you knew about Daniel Cormier was through this man Jones. And now while Jones has been away, Cormier is kind of building this legacy and really sort of kind of coming into his own, which sounds insane with a resume like he has, but it really seems to be the case in terms of MMA anyways. And the UFC seems like he's kind of getting that respect now. And it's, it's kind of interesting. So um, we'll, we'll definitely see how this shapes up at the same time. He's having this beef with Jones. He's now beefing with, you know, Jimmy Manawa through Twitter. So Seems like he's definitely, he said he wanted to fight right away again, and it seems like he's going out of his way to make sure he's got a, a couple of good fights lined up and ready to go. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Cormier is definitely keeping his options open. I was going to mention the Manua thing. So it's like, you know, barely 24 hours after going at it with Jones on Twitter, he goes at it with Manua on Twitter. So clearly he is stoking the fire for, for that other fight, just in case. Well, um, and you'll see. It, it seems like it's gaining a bit of traction, to be honest with you. I think I think it's starting to lean more towards they might give him the Manawa fight and then uh, give Jones that lead-in fight that everyone's been talking about. I just don't think they trust that boy yet. So, um, yeah, I might see you might see might see that guy jump over him. It wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, it, <laughs> I I'm shocked to find myself saying this, but I agree with the UFC when it comes to that approach. Uh, I don't see how you can have that much faith in John Jones after everything that's happened at this point. You, if well, I, I would do the same thing. I would make sure that you had that other option and lead with that option. And John Jones has just got to earn it. He's got to earn it back because he has not done a lot of earning of anything uh, the well, last few years. <laughs> let's, let's not give him too much credit here. There's, a, there's also a timing thing that lines up, right? They've got some big fights in July that need some headliners. Jones isn't ready in July. And, you know, you can give them a bunch of credit, but it doesn't take many smarts to look and go. They might just need a fight in between. Um, and so you, you build up Manawa, you get that going, you, you blame it on whatever you want to blame it on. Say Jones isn't dependable, do whatever you want. But really, I think if at the end of the day he was available, uh, you even heard Cormier saying this last week, he was talking about like the matchup is Jones, period. Yeah. And now it's already wavered greatly. And when you, when you start looking at that schedule, I don't think I'd be shocked at all to see Cormier fighting in July, yep. uh, which gives you a title fight on those big cards for fight week and then gives Jones, you know, whether you want to claim it so he can get right and get a tune-up fight or whatever, yep. I think it's really just the schedule. <laughs> got meaning. Yeah, and Dana White has, I believe he's said as much uh, when commenting about Jones, basically saying that his suspension ends in, in June and we're not going to have the guy fighting like you know, a few weeks after a suspension and something along those lines. I don't it's, know it's happened. days, it's days, yeah, it's days yeah. before that fight week card. And so I, you know, we're giving them a bunch of credit, but I just want to 
pump the brakes a little bit on the credit for the UFC because I think if they saw they could make some money and the timing lined up right, I think they'd probably take it before they were really concerned about trusting and you know all these things that they kind of are putting out there now. But we'll see. Yeah. Either way, it's exciting. It's 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 not. I, this is sort of part of the reason that Daniel Cormier gets a bit of gets a bit of hatred. But I am one of those unabashed. It's good to see John Jones back doing his thing again. There's something about the way he handles himself which makes him so uh, enthralling. He's a pain in the ass, totally into himself, just such an asshole sometimes. But he it makes for great TV, and he goes out and he and he puts his his money where his mouth is. So I'll be happy to see him when he comes back. I'm happy to see him. Get into it with Cormier on Twitter. I hope he gets into it with somebody else soon, too. That would be nice. Um, now, that segment, by the way, we've decided that every time we talk about two fighters that are going at it in the news, in the headlines, we're going to call it beefing, right? We're going to go with beefing. Two, pl- I, two fighters that are beefing. I'd like to recommend beef in. Beef I kinda, in. I'm a, I'm a drop-the-G kind of guy, but just throwing that out there. You, you run it through the marketing people. Let me know what they say, but beefing. Well, our marketing department is not very well paid, so I don't think that they'll give you the best recommendation. So I'm just going to pull an executive decision here. I'm going to agree, Mitch. I think you dropped the G. So what the kids would do, and we're all about marketing to a younger demographic. So <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, though, we got the Q rating. As you know, the Q rating, we take a fighter who is recently in the headlines who is either helping their stock or hurting their stock. This week, we have chosen a fighter that we have yet to talk about on the show and yet has had so much intrigue since we started recording this podcast. We've just never had time to really talk about her. Chris Cyborg Santos. Oh, no, not Santos. I'm sorry. that She got divorced. Chris Cyborg. My bad. My bad. She recently, she has not had a fight in how many months, Mitch? I'm not even sure how many months. Uh, yeah, a long time for a numerous number of reasons. So <laughs> yes. Now, that obviously not entirely related to performance or all these other things. Uh, the, the, the USADA issue uh, having to do with a, a, not a birth control pill, but a uh, weight loss pill, some, something along those lines. I can't remember what it is, but... Anyways, that got all cleared up, and she didn't even really get punished. But she has not been booked since her suspension was lifted. And the 145 title that was created for some strange reason without her in the title picture, even though she got busted a week or two later from the announcement, has been won by Jermaine Durandamy, and still there's no word whether Chris Cyborg is going to be fighting her. So she naturally took to Twitter and said, if the UFC is not going to book me for a fight, they should release me. Big words, Mitch. Hardline tactic. Is this good for Chris Cyborg, or is this bad? Is her Q rating up, or is it down? You know, I hummed and hawed on this one, and I I really think at the end of the day, for me, it's down, and I would say it's more to do with the fact that I just, I don't often hear good news about Chris Cyborg. I don't know what it is. I, I get excited for her, then something comes up. One way or the other, she's, you know, she hasn't fought since September, when she was fighting in September, they were lining up opponents nobody's ever heard of. And we kind of, you know, it just, no matter what it seems to be, there's this kind of negative air around her. I think everybody wants to see her in the UFC. Everybody wants to see her competing at that 145, not trying to cut these crazy weights and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, 
when I look at someone like Yoel Romero or some of these other people where you're coming off of a USADA issue, whether you eventually, you know, end up being exonerated or not, you've had this potential suspension, that potential suspension caused you to miss the first fight with Jermaine Dumanby. <laughs> and now you've been, you know, it's been lifted for a month and a half, give or take. By the time she made these comments, not even that long. And she's complaining, saying they haven't lined up a fight. And she kind of reminds me a lot of this John Jones scenario. Like, you know, if you're the UFC, are you thinking, hey, let's make sure she's our next champion. And who the heck knows if she's going to be able to fight two or three fights in a row. She's had USADA issues. and you know, Not USADA issues, but she's had issues with, you know, performance enhancing stuff and all this in the past. Now she has this USADA issue. She has troubles making the weight. Like, it just seems like you know, there's something we're not knowing here or something. She's more difficult to work with behind the scenes. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like to me, this is just more bad news. Like, really, you're going to, you want them to release you and go where? She just gave up her belt in Invicta. Like, where, where is she going to go? Where are we, where is she running off to that's going to be so much better than this? So um, it seems like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a ploy that's kind of fallen on deaf ears here, really. I think they've kind of, and maybe, maybe they've responded to her, you know, not through the media. I don't know, but I haven't seen anything public and I don't, really blame them you've got a champion who said she's having hand surgery like what did what do you want here they probably don't have a solid answer on when she's ready to fight again and are you going to put her in against cyborg right off the bat anyways and you know i'm not so sure cyborg as a champion in your division is a great thing if you're the boss maybe it is maybe it's not but you just end up with another champion you can't find a fight for right so i don't know it's a it's an interesting thing but i wonder if you're a promoter is, is cyborg that valuable you'd think she is but what what do you think is she is she someone you would you'd book instantly if you were in those shoes oh uh i i would only because what other options are there at 145 i mean she she is a uh a novelty fighter there's very few women at that weight class uh so i would book her i'd book her and if she gets canceled well she gets canceled you just lost one of only two or three 145-pound fights you could possibly book. So, ah, oh, well, shrug your shoulders and move on. Now, ah, gosh, we are we agree too much on the Q rating, Mitch, because I agree with you. I agree with you. Her Q rating is down for me. Um, and a big thing for me has been it's kind of funny that back when Ronda Rousey was tearing up the divisions, every time Cyborg was in the news, the reaction was sort of like this, ha, 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 guffawing, like, really? That's funny. Ronda Rousey is the best. And everything Rousey was saying was being met with with adoration. And, you know, Rousey would say, well, she's got to come down to fight me at 135 if she wants to fight me because she was a steroid chief. And everyone agreed. Everyone was saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Cyborg said this and that and the other thing. Cyborg, she has that ability to make missteps out of the cage with what she says and how she says things. The only time that her Q rating was really up was that initial surge after she signed with the UFC and all of a sudden it was like the mainstream MMA media got their hands on her and were able to really talk her up and talk about her. And then it was like, whoa, like this is, she's one of the greatest ever and this, that, and, and the other thing. But people forget that most of the time when she says stuff or she goes on social media or she... It's just drama. It's drama. It's I can't make weight because I'm trying to have babies. And then and then uh, th this stuff with USADA. And then she did have the steroid bust years ago. And then even just some of the ways that she would engage with Ronda Rousey were sort of head-scratching. Like you're kind of going like, what, what are you trying to say? 
What are you trying to get across? What are you trying to prove by saying these things? And this is just another one. It's like you give up the Invicta title, which is in all by intensive purposes. It's basically a UFC belt. Um, she gives it up and you wonder, was she talking to the UFC about this? Was this something that they agreed with her about? Or did she just think that this was a hardline negotiation tactic that would work? But you give up all your leverage and now you're saying, if they're not going to book me, then release me. It's like you said, go where? So I don't know what when it's when it's their belt. Like they have that's, to. That's what I'm when saying. When she gives up the belt, they have to have talked. That's what seems so bizarre about this. And that's why I keep feeling like there's got to be some, you know, something that happens behind the scenes with this fighter. There, there's problems or her team or whatever it is just seems like, and I, I'm not saying that UFC is the most fair organization in the world. And they always treat everyone, you know, equally and fairly, but it just seems weird that there's always, you know, you see this drama, like you said, around this person at all times. I just Listen, she couldn't even successfully work with Tito Ortiz, who was the greatest problem child the UFC ever had. He couldn't even find a way to work with her, and he was trying. So, like, to me, that kind of says something. I don't know. That kind of says something to me where it's like, you think that if someone would be able to figure out how to do a work with a dramatic fighter, it would be Tito. He couldn't even do it. Yeah, and in the end, I mean, we're it's the fight fans that lose, right? Every time she gets in the cage, it's entertaining. Yeah. And everybody just wants to see her against people that are, you know, equal matchups against some of the cream of the crop, et cetera, et cetera. And we thought we were finally going to see that. We thought we were going to see her in against Holly Holm and some of these people. And, and maybe we still are. I think you tend to see a lot of smoke right before there's a, an announcement or something. And this, you know, tends to make me feel like there's probably a, a fairly large fight announcement possibly with her coming up and you know, this is a little bit of smoke before the before the announcement, but we'll see what happens here. It wouldn't shock me at all to see them do something in Europe or, you know, like said, something in the Netherlands or something like that. That's, you know, it seems like they've got a few guys now that they could potentially be doing something over there with. So, yeah. but um, yeah, not, not doing herself any favors if that's what's about to happen. Not doing herself any favors. Q rating is down for from both of us. It's down. <laughs> Now, we are right in the midst of a UFC streak here. This will be the third straight week with a UFC card. Uh, easily the weakest of the, of the three cards, I would say. This fight is headlined by Cub Swanson versus Artem who? Lobov. Uh, of course, we know who Artem Lobov is, only because he's best buddies with Conor McGregor. But that's the headlining fight of this card. That said... There's some good depth to this card. There's definitely some good depth to this card. Uh, Ove's St. Prue is on this card. Uh, uh, oh, shoot, I just drew a blank. Who else is on this card? I think Jessica Penny is on this card. John Dotson, Joe Wilson. Eddie Wineland, yeah. Al Iaquinta, baby. Come on. Yeah. The return of Al Iaquinta. He was, Diego Sanchez. Yeah. Real estate broker Al Iaquinta has decided he wants to make a little bit of money in the UFC. He's... So he's moving back. It's it's actually a pretty good card, all things considered, since the headlining fight is just kind of a whack out. I don't even know. It'll be entertaining. And even that, but... Swanson's from Nashville. It makes sense that the headliner's not supposed to go past one round. That's I think that's what everyone's looking for in that fight. It, it makes sense. as if you, if you think of the context, small show, hometown fight, he'll get a good pop when he comes out. 
All right, you're just playing the hometown fan. I see. Just cheering for the hometown team, Mitch, whatever. Well, you know me. I'm a big Nashville supporter. So <laughs> uh, Now, the one fight on here that we've decided to feature and talk about a little bit uh, is Jake Ellenberger versus Mike Perry. Um, now, I thought that this would be a good fight to feature. I feel that the narratives going into it are the most interesting. Mike Perry kind of debuted in the UFC and sort of took took – a lot of people by storm, I think, really showed up and was exciting, was brash and abrasive, faked the handshake on his first UFC fight. He's aggressive. He looks like he just got out of prison, which I think he's, he was in prison for a period of time. So he's an exciting fighter. And he's taking on this resurgent Jake Ellenberger, someone who a lot of people thought was washed, washed right out and done. And then he comes back. And he looks like a new man in his last fight. Absolutely starches whoever he was fighting. I just drew a blank. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Matt Brown? I'm not telling you. I'm making you search for it now. I think it's better this way. Matt Brown. Matt Brown. That's who it was. That's right. Matt Brown. There we go. What was I saying? Jeez. Came How about this? How about this? You you figure out what you want to say about Jake Allenberger. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hijack you completely. Al Iaquinta is fighting on this card. Oh. Here's what people need to know about him. He's the guy who went to become a real estate agent, like Reese highlighted, because he was getting paid so little by the UFC. Not only that, he went very public with it, fought them very publicly about how pathetically he was being paid, and when they ver- they would not raise the money, he walked. He walked. He went away, he learned a new business, had moved on, <laughs> all the while training. Longo guy, he's out in Jersey, working hard, good Jersey boy, and now he's coming back. They've got new owners, he can deal with some new people, he's coming back, he's an exciting kid, this is a great thing for the sport. And if you think, if you're one of those people that's kind of like, UFC's worth $4 billion? these guys don't even pay their fighters, this is, a, this is the fight, this is the people's fight. You want to see Al win, and you want to see him win handily. Get him on that mic and let him go crazy because it should be entertaining. You were talking about Mike Perry. He's great on the mic as well. He could be very entertaining. But Al Quinta, that's your guy. There you go. Did I buy you enough space there? Get your facts right on old Jakey boy. Are we ready to talk that fight again? You know what, Mitch? I, I, I think that you just made the perfect sign-off note, to be quite honest. I'm excited for the Jake Ellenberger resurgence. His last fight ended kind of awkwardly against Jorge Masvidal. His foot got caught in the cage, all that stuff. I, I finally figured it out. I just drew a blank. Stop for bringing it up. Okay, I'm not a professional here. Give me a break. But I think the Ally Quinta story, you summed it up beautifully. That is the people's fight. I am super excited to watch him come back. So we'll sign off of that. And hopefully, we, like you said, we will get a good post-fight speech where, You booing me? You booing me? God, that was classic. I would love That's, to see him get on the mic again. Can't wait. Yeah, me me as well. I think it should be entertaining, and at the very least, uh, yeah, he should say something hilarious. <laughs> well, that said, I will be watching that card. I don't know if you'll be watching that card out there in the sticks. you got to find a television, so... Yeah, no, no TV here, but I'll be watching, buddy. There's this thing called the internet, so Ooh. the world. Yeah. Well, you have been listening to The Hurt Take, the people's podcast, the fan show for the fans. I am Reese. He is Mitch. Thank you for listening. We 
are out. <laughs>